from St. Louis Public Radio. This is St. Louis on the Air. And I think that the Pentagon wanted to preserve the deception capability in case they wanted to use it in a future war. Now, who came up with this idea of let's have some fake troops with inflatable tanks? Well, deceptions uh, in, in the military, of course, is very old. It goes back to the Trojan horse. I'm Sarah Fenske. In Missouri, June 6th is Ghost Army Recognition Day. That comes thanks to a bill signed into law last year by Governor Mike Parson. And the federal government seems poised to follow Missouri's lead. Earlier this month, the U.S. House of Representatives voted overwhelmingly in favor of H.R. 707, a bill to award the soldiers serving in the Ghost Army with the Congressional Gold Medal. So who exactly were these soldiers? Rick Byers' 2013 documentary, The Ghost Army, remains the definitive guide to this fascinating World War II tale of subterfuge and strategy. Here's how the film described a pivotal campaign in March of 1945 as the Allies prepared to cross the Rhine into the heart of Germany. Across the river from Dusseldorf, the view from the air reveals hundreds of American vehicles. Intercepted Allied radio transmissions confirm the presence of two American divisions. German observation posts hear them moving in across the river. All signs suggest the attack will come here. But the tanks spotted from the air are 93-pound inflatable dummies. The sounds come from loudspeakers. The radio transmissions from a script. It's amazing the fakery that we were able to perpetrate upon the enemy. And that is from the 2013 documentary, The Ghost Army, now on Amazon Prime. And joining us now to share more of this history and why lawmakers are finally ready to honor these men is Rick Beyer. He is the director of The Ghost Army, which premiered on PBS in 2013. He is also the president of The Ghost Army Legacy Project. Rick, welcome. Oh, thanks. Great to be here. Rick, for those who haven't seen your wonderful film, what exactly was The Ghost Army? Well, it's a unit of men. Its official name was the 23rd Headquarters Special Troops, which is a really boring name for an amazing unit. They were a deception unit. Their mission was to impersonate other, much larger American units, to fool the Germans about the size, the location, and the actions of those units. And they carried out 22 deceptions on the battlefield uh, starting in June 1944 and going to March 1945. So it's such an amazing idea. Who came up with this idea of let's have some fake troops with inflatable tanks? Well, deceptions uh, in, in the military, of course, is very old. It goes back to the Trojan horse. This particular idea was developed by two staff officers, um, 
working in the Special Plans Branch in, uh, for the U.S. Army in London in 1944. And uh, interestingly, they were kind of opposites. One was a former civilian, uh, Ralph Ingersoll, who'd been an author and a publisher. The other was a West Point uh, career army guy named Billy Harris. Two really different people. But working together, they developed kind of this crazy idea for a traveling roadshow or of deception or a symphony of subterfuge, as one writer called it. So you said they had 22 different deceptions. Did they pull off most of them? Yes, they, uh, their deceptions were mostly successful, and none of them were they found out by the Germans. And in some of them, it, we have really good evidence that they managed to uh, fool the Germans and get them to move troops and kind of do the things that we hoped they would do that might help uh, us save lives and help bring about American victory. Hmm. So what was the ultimate impact of this? I mean, are, are, can we point to um, you know, how many lives they saved? You know, that's so tricky. Uh, I talk about that a lot. There have been estimates that they saved uh, 15,000, hmm. 25,000 lives. But how do you know? You don't really know exactly. I have talked to soldiers, GIs, who served in Europe who who said, well, you know, maybe they saved my life because, you know, they were involved in an operation I was involved in. And that's very moving and meaningful. It's hard to know their exact impact Except I would say there's this one uh, uh, army uh, analysis of the unit done about 30 years later in which the author says, rarely have there been so few men who had such a great impact on a major military campaign. Hmm. Well, speaking of those men, this is a perfect time to introduce our second guest today, and that is Carolyn Spence Cagle. She lives in Lampy, Missouri. She's a board member of the Ghost Army Legacy Project, and her late father was one of the men who served in the Ghost Army. Carolyn, welcome. Thank you. Thank you for reaching out to allow Rick and I to have this dialogue about the meritorious work of the Ghost Army and also promoting the Congressional Gold Medal for the Ghost Army that, as you addressed earlier, is in the U.S. Senate at the present time. That's right. And, and I want to talk about some of the uh, attempts to honor these men here in just a few moments. But first, I just want to talk a little bit about your dad. Tell us a bit about his life before World War II. Who was he when the Army said, hey, come be a part of this very, very strange experiment here? Well, my understanding from conversations with my family is that my dad was enrolled as a freshman at a small university in the northwestern part of Pennsylvania. And recruiters came into his art class because he had always been an artist very early in his life and then continued that throughout his career. But these recruiters came in and uh, asked for anybody, <clears throat> pardon me, allergies are giving me crazy stuff today, <clears throat> and asked for people to go ahead and, and sign up uh, for this wonderful participation in World War II. And, and so my dad, along with many others, marched up to uh, New York. And my, ma my dad, from what I understand, uh, was, uh, was recruited. And he actually went to the City College of New York and underwent some significant training in uh, different uh, technology uh, spheres. And uh, eventually, uh, was recruited for the Ghost Army, although he really didn't know anything about what he was doing. Hmm. <laughs> you know, he basically just said, okay, you guys want me, I'm ready to go, and this will work out for everybody. Hmm. So, um, yeah. And there were 20 men from Missouri who were also part of this troop. But, Rick, it sounds like more typical was were people like Carolyn's dad. These were art school students, and a lot of them seemed to have come from the East Coast. 
Well, there's a, a, about half of the visual deception unit were art students or artists of some kind. That's about 150 people out of the 1,100 who served in the unit. So there's plenty of other different uh, people from all sorts of, of walks of life. Interestingly, though, I can't talk today. Interestingly, uh, there's another Ghost Army veteran uh, who was an artist in St. Louis uh, who's worth mentioning, uh, Ed Baccia, who uh, was 30 years at WashU and uh, also a very well-known artist and art professor. So the artists definitely were a big part of the story, but they're not the only part of the story. Hmm. So there's another clip from Rick's film I want to play here. This is a member of the Ghost Army who describes how he was recruited for this work. Lieutenant Bob Conrad, a signal officer for the Dixie Division, was another who found himself suddenly transferred to a mysterious new unit. I had no idea of why I was there or what I was to be doing. After I was there for a few days, I spoke to this major and I said, what is this organization? And he said, let's put it this way, Lieutenant. If we are totally successful, you may not come back. And that, again, is from the documentary, The Ghost Army. Uh, Carolyn, I understand it took decades before you learned about your father's service. But what do you know now about what he did as he was there in Europe in, in 1944, 1945? Well, there were four different units or components of the Ghost Army. And my dad was a member of the 603, uh, which really focused on the deception, uh, creating fake signs, uh post, you know, where the commanders would hang out, uh, really retooling jeeps and different transport vehicles with uh, different signs to indicate that they were something other than what they were, uh, creating uh, fake shoulder patches so they might look like Germans or other people. They really just engaged in their artistry and their innovation to create deceptive, uh, you know, messages Mm -hmm. that would really circulate around uh, the communities where they were and and also distract the Germans from really understanding what was happening. So uh, it was quite, they were very, very busy, uh, but they had lots of fun. They sketched a lot when they were in uh, Europe, and that was kind of a relief, I think, for them, therapy, if you will. To get to to do these illustrations. Yes, yeah. Because they really were asked to pick up, you know, in a short period of time, go to a certain place and create the deception, and then they might be there for a couple of days, and then they were asked to move somewhere else. Mm-hmm. So they, yeah. Uh, Rick, I'd love for you to jump in there. Yeah, sorry. Uh, so I, you know, I met Carolyn's dad, uh, Joe Spence, because he's in the documentary film also. And uh, he had a, he worked in the 603rd, as she said, which also handled these inflatables, the inflatable tanks and artillery and everything they used to fool German aerial reconnaissance. And uh, he told a great story. He was uh, essentially a, a replacement. He was coming in uh, kind of late in, in the process. Uh, and he um, uh, he couldn't believe, uh, you know, when he he went down, he was given an order to go down and, 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 uh, and, and come into where they were training. And when he saw four guys holding a, a tank up in the air, he said to himself, what the heck kind of unit have I found myself in? <laughs> and and uh, so it's, it's, you know, it's a story that has a lot of 
whimsical aspects. But as we approach Memorial Day, it's also worth mentioning that, you know, four soldiers died, you know, carrying out these missions. So it's a it's a it's a business that's funny at times, but it's a very serious business as well. For sure. I mean, this could have been so dangerous. Uh, Carolyn, he came home after the war. He did become an art teacher, eventually earned his doctorate in education. Did he talk about the details of his service uh, when you were a child? No. Now, my father was pretty much, uh, he was a straight and narrow guy for the most part, and he was told when he left the ghost army that he was to not utter a breath or any words about what he did in the in the war. So he followed that directive. And, and Rick, your film gets into the reasons for this. Why was it so important that they kept this quiet even after the fact? Well, if you uh, can perform a magic trick and then you tell people how you did the trick, uh, nobody's going to believe that trick the next time it's performed. And I think that the Pentagon wanted to preserve the deception capability in case they wanted to use it in a future war. And in 1945, that thinking probably was, well, we might go to war with Russia at some point, and we want to preserve the details of the deception capability. It's okay if a little bit of it gets out or if there's a news story about inflatable tanks, but we want to keep secret the way we actually put this together and intertwined these various kinds of deception, uh, visual, radio, sonic, and impersonation to fool the enemy. So I think it was to preserve that capability. We're talking today to Rick Beyer. He is the director of the Ghost Army documentary. You can watch that now on Amazon Prime if this piques your interest. Uh, We're also talking today to Carolyn Spence-Cagle. Her father served in the Ghost Army, and she's a board member of the Ghost Army Legacy Project. We need to take a quick break, but we'll be back shortly to continue this conversation. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio. Support comes from Missouri Forest Products Association, committed to sustainable and sound conservation of the state's forests, which support more than 41,000 Missouri jobs, resulting in a $10 billion industry. Choosewood.com. And now back to our conversation. Today we're talking about the Ghost Army. It specialized in deception in the European theater during the final year of World War II. My guests today are Rick Beyer, the director of the Ghost Army documentary and also president of the Ghost Army Legacy Project, and also Carolyn Spence-Cagle. She lives in Lampy, Missouri. Her father served in the Ghost Army in World War II, and she is now a board member of the Ghost Army Legacy Project. So, Carolyn, you mentioned that your father had, had followed the rules. He didn't talk about this when you were a kid. In 1996, the Army finally declassified the details of the Ghost Army service. Did your dad open up at that point? Yes. I remember that my father, when he was allowed to really talk about uh, his experience during World War II, went into his study where there was a bureau, and he got out these medals that he had received from the French government for Mm -hmm. his service. And you know, his eyes were wet, and, you know, all of us were very impressed, with, you know, to think our dad was actually doing something that merited a governmental, you know, gratitude was just phenomenal. So, um, 
anyway, that was sort of the conversation, really, with how did he get to the ghost army and what did he do when he was there. And, you know, he would often talk about uh, working in the displaced person a sector after the operations were pretty much complete for the ghost army and how difficult that was dealing with all the different nationalities that were so angry at each other because mm-hmm. of the war. So, yeah, we, we found out. And then uh, the other thing is that uh, Rick Beyer, along with the, um, you know, he does a tour through um, a company in New Orleans, and we went, my husband and I went on a tour, and so I ended up having more conversations with my mother, and she dug out information, too, that I was not privy to earlier in my dad's life before he passed away. Mm. So I'm learning as we go about all kinds of different things. Rick, do you think it was a relief for these veterans to finally be able to share the truth about what they'd done? I do think it was. You know, sometimes you get people who uh, don't want to open up about their uh, experiences in World War II, and I found the exact opposite when I started uh, working to interview veterans, that they were dying to talk about it. And appreciative that uh, that that they were recognized, it was recognized as something good. One of the veterans, uh, uh, Bernie Mason, he said, well, he said, I, I, he said, even if I could have talked about it, he said, I think I would have been embarrassed about it. I said, well, why, Bernie? Why would you be embarrassed? And he said, because, well, you know, I don't have a real war story. You know, we're doing something with inflatable tanks or impersonation or this or that. So I think they appreciated the chance to talk about it and also the idea that the totality of what they did, trying to deceive the Germans to save lives and, and, and bring about victory, is something that is, is being recognized and honored. And that's actually a great segue into something that we do want to talk about today, and that is the honors that are now beginning to finally come after so many years. Missouri designated Ghost Army Recognition Day last year. Carolyn, did that seem like a major win for the Ghost Army Legacy Project? Oh, yes, most definitely. Um, Dean Dorman, who was a Missouri legislator Mm -hmm. uh, several years ago, really was the one that... uh, kind of accompanied that bill to the legislative process, and he's still kind of active with our group that's planning the event on June 6th. Uh, I went down to Jeff City, or actually up to Jeff City, I guess I should say, with my husband last July to be part of the signing by Governor Parson. So, yeah, it was a nice thing. Uh, We had really worked hard for that in the state of Missouri because we wanted to be equivalent to what they had done in the state of Arizona, where they had supported Uh, ghost army uh, projects and that kind of thing. Rick, have others joined Arizona and Missouri at this point? Uh, We don't have other states that have joined at this point, uh, but the, you know, our main focus is on Congress, as you alluded to, uh, and the ghost army bill, of course, passed in the uh, House of Representatives uh, last Tuesday, which was just an amazing and fantastic moment. And now, you know, that bill to award the unit a Congressional Gold Medal is before the U.S. Senate. And that bill is S-1404, S-1404. And our big push right now is to get uh, more senators to co-sponsor it. So we have, I think, 18 senators so far. I will say there are none from Missouri yet. Oh. And uh, we're hoping hoping to change that with Ghost Army Recognition Day and all the stuff going on. Uh, and, um, you know, we have to get, uh, because of the Senate rules, we have to get to 67. So mm. you, can't, you, get, you literally have to have two-thirds of the Senate say, we're behind this, before they can even consider it. So that's what we're pushing for right now. 
now. Well, I hope Josh Hawley and Roy Blunt are listening. Uh, Rick, I have to ask, the bill that passed Tuesday, I understand this was first introduced in 2015. This this feels like a no-brainer to me. How did it take six years to get to this point? I, I don't know that we have enough time to answer that question. <laughs> but, <laughs> That's fair. But, but there but, have been but, some struggles. Well, it, you know, I think that uh, with any bill like this, everybody wants to check it out very carefully. They don't want to honor a unit uh, wrongly. Uh, and then I, you, you just you need to put it on people's radar screen. You need to get it up to the top of the pile. And so that is really what requires the effort. I think once people know about it and once they understand what they did, they're amazed and blown away and usually want to get involved and, and help. But it's getting to that point for each individual legislator that takes the time. So, Carolyn, this effort could well yield congressional gold medals for the men who served in this. Uh, your father has passed away. He won't be here to see that. Does that feel kind of bittersweet? Well, to some extent, yes. But to actually get into the point where the, the congressional gold medal you know, was issued, you know, is a significant event. And, and Rick's right on board with the difficulty of getting previous administrations and senators and representatives to support it, you know, with all the other things that they deal with in Washington. But we've got an incredible group that's working in virtual lobbying right now to really make that a priority for people, you know, in the Senate to really co-sponsor the bill. And I have been emailing Blunt and Holly, really pestering them, I would say, <laughs> about their need to really step forward and support, particularly in regards to June 6th celebration here. And that need to to act on this, to not wait another six years before the Senate brings passage to this, we should mention there are still members of this unit who are living today. Rick, I imagine that that might not be the case for very much longer. There are only 11 men still left out of more than 1,100 who served in the unit. And the oldest of them is 106, and the youngest is 96. And so the ghost army is going to be an army of ghosts in the not-too-distant future. And so it's really important to try to honor them this way now while some of them are still here to receive that honor. Mm-hmm. So y- you have mentioned these uh, these festivities that are happening. We do want to mention that you can see an exhibition on the Ghost Army at the Missouri State Museum. Uh, that's there in the Missouri Capitol. That's going to be beginning June 6th. There's also a special screening of Rick's film. Um, if anyone's going to be in Branson on June 6th, that is happening then at the IMAX there. Details are linked on our website. That's stlpr.org. You do, do need to get reservations for that special event. But we'd encourage people, if you want to get involved in that, Those are both great opportunities, and if you feel like putting pressure on Senator Hawley or Senator Blunt, that is Senate uh, Senate Resolution 1404. Is that right, Rick? Right, right. 1404. Okay. So just in our final moment here, um, Rick, I want to ask this question to you. There's so much that's so interesting in this story. What's the one thing that you're hoping people will take away from the tale of the ghost army? I I hope that people take away the idea of, uh, of using creativity Uh, and performance and things like that to save lives because that's really what this unit is about because if you can fool the enemy and get around behind them or kind of go the other way you can save lives and doing it you know with creativity that is pretty awesome right on the battlefield so that's what I'd like people to remember. Well Rick Beyer thank you so much for joining us today. 
Uh, my pleasure. And Rick is the president of the Ghost Army Legacy Project, and you can stream the Ghost Army now on Amazon Prime. And Carolyn Spence-Cagle, um, thank you so much for joining us today, and, and thank you for your father's service. You're quite welcome. I appreciate it. St. Louis on the Air is a production of St. Louis Public Radio. Understanding starts here. If you learned something new from today's episode, consider leaving us a review and rating on Apple Podcasts on the App Store. It's the easiest way to help people discover our show. We appreciate it. Thank you. St. Louis Public Radio is a member-supported service of the University of Missouri-St. Louis. Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association, providing more than 41,000 jobs in the production of wood pallets, railroad ties, white oak barrels, hardwood floors, and more. Details at ChooseWood.com.